Welcome to Mutterings from a Bald Guy podcast. My name is Chet, your host. You will find sermons and teachings that put Scripture in its rightful place of authority on this podcast. If you like this episode or any, could you tap five stars and leave me a review? When you tap those stars and leave a review, that significantly helps me spread more salt in a morally decaying world. Hey, let's bring life to the dead together. Amen. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. So glad to see you this morning. I'm glad that you came out on a cold morning. I know that it was difficult to get out that warm bed and hear that alarm clock go off, but I'm glad to see you this morning. Well, we are continuing through John. We're going to take a a few week break because I'm going to be preaching through Advent as we lead up until Christmas, starting soon. Um, And then after that, we'll be done with John pretty soon. So John has been a long journey for us. It's but it's been a needed one, and it's been one that the Lord wanted us to take. And so that's what matters. And I hope that you've been blessed by it. I hope that the Lord has confirmed your own belief. And if you don't have belief, I pray that the Lord has shown you what belief is and that it's available to you that you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ because of belief. So we're going to enter into the passion narrative in chapters 18 and 19 of John. And it's called that because John accounts of Jesus' suffering and death in these chapters. Now, you will notice a continued theme throughout the next few messages as we lead into the end of John. The theme is authority and destiny. Authority and destiny. You see, Jesus holds all authority and he knows all destiny because he is the creator. He is the author of salvation. He's the one who fabricated your DNA. He knows the molecules inside of you and everything that's been created and everything that will come to be. He knows all things. He is all powerful. How many of you guys have heard of Passover? Yeah, yeah. You guys, look, you know what we do in America well? We eat like the Jews ate in Passover every day, okay? That's what we do well. Now, many of you know that Passover was observed by the Jews during the time when God told them to remember what he did for them when he brought them out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. So it's a time of remembrance of God defeating enemies, God providing a way, God making true his promises to the Israelites, to his children. Now, Jesus and his disciples in this moment that we're going to see, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus wanted to pray in silence. I mean, how hard is it to pray in a crowd of people? Pretty hard, right? Um, you know, if you can speak well and eloquently, maybe you can speak well and eloquently in a crowd. I'm the kind of person that I can't do multiple things. I need to do one thing at a time. If I'm in a crowded space and I have to focus on something, I can't do that. Like, you know how some people like to study at a coffee shop or read books in crowds? I can't do it. You won't catch me Anywhere. I need a room with sound boards, you know, towels underneath the door. I need complete silence to focus on what I'm doing. Um, it used to drive me nuts. The, the church I came from, before I came here, I was on staff. And uh, it was a very busy office area. So people were coming in, in and out all the time. And it used to drive me insane because I'd close my door and I'd get started on something and then someone would knock on the door. Or I'd, I'd start reading the scripture to prepare for a a youth event or a youth night, and then someone would call my phone or call the office phone or knock on the door again. You guys who are in business, you guys who are in the workplace, some of you know what I'm talking about. You get where you can actually do some work and somebody bothers you, amen? And so Jesus, he's had enough of the crowd. He wants to go in silence and pray to the Lord. Now, 
the one thing about being in silence and darkness, we're going to transition a little bit, talk about darkness. Darkness hinders your ability to see. You would agree, obviously. Darkness in caves hinder your ability to see and move. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm going to show you a video, but if you easily get claustrophobic, you might want to close your eyes, okay? Check this video. He made it out. That, that video was much longer. I kind of sped it up just to, to show you what happened. So there, obviously, um, there have been many instances in the past where people get stuck in caves. I don't understand what the thrill is. I, I don't understand what you get out of going. I guess you go in a dark cave and you travel for miles and miles and squeeze through crevices. And I guess you can tell your friends that you did it. <laughs> I guess that's maybe, uh, you know, I don't know if there's money involved in that, if there's competition but it just seems like a pretty dangerous endeavor, amen? And so that guy obviously was stuck, and he had some friends trying to help him get out of the, the position he was in. And if you guys have, are, are like me and get interested in little weird things like this, you do a little research. And so there's actually an art in uh, cave crawling. And one of the things is you have to keep your, um, obviously you have to keep your nerves in check because if you start breathing real quickly and start hyperventilating, you're not able to, um, release the air in your body, which allows you to move through dark and small places. And so that right there, just the thought and the idea of practicing for something like that gives me an anxiety attack, okay? But we know that darkness tries to overcome light, especially in a cave, right? If it wasn't for the headlamps, they would not see where they were going. If those lights were to go out, they would be in complete darkness and be lost in a cave forever. But it's this theme, darkness constantly tries to overtake the night, now, in the first three verses of John 18, we're going to see the Roman guards take lanterns and torches to where Jesus is. 
Again, this is John. John is writing an account. This is a powerful example of the theme of darkness trying to overtake the light. Now, this is not new. This has been happening since the beginning of sin. Since the moment sin entered the world, darkness has been trying to overtake the light. How do we know this? Well, look at our own lives. There have been many situations in our own lives, many seasons of life that we've been through where we have experienced the darkness, whether it be temptation, whether it be grief, whether it be suffering. We have experienced these things, and darkness is constantly trying to overtake the light inside of us. Now, look at John chapter 1, verse 5. That light, that, shine, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So we know there's a truth. There's a truth that there's darkness, and there's a truth that there's light. And there's another truth that darkness will try to overtake the light, but it never will succeed. Okay, in the light, we're talking about Jesus. So let's go to the main text, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be John 18, 1 through 12. So you can open up your Bibles. You can read your Bible apps. However you choose to do this, it'll be on the screen as well. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across, across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Verse 7. Then he asked them again, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he. Jesus replied, so if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the father has given me? Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. All right, the first point, darkness will never overtake the light. Darkness will never overtake the light. Jesus took three actions that showed he was in control of the situation. Because remember, we're looking at the theme authority and destiny. Jesus holds all authority. So we're going to see through the text, there's going to be moments and situations like this where we see why and how Jesus was in total control over the situation. All right, the first point is this. Jesus went out to meet the authorities, not the reverse. Jesus went out to meet the authorities, not the reverse. And look at verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them. He knew what was going to happen. He knew at that moment he holds all authority. This means Jesus knows the future. Grab that truth for a moment. Jesus knows everything, even the future. Now, I may embarrass myself here, but it won't be the first time, and there will probably be many more. How many of you guys wanted a superpower when you were a kid? Y'all lying. Every single one of you without your hand up is lying. See, I wanted a superpower as a kid. As a matter of fact, I know this is still a thing, and it, it, it was so cute. There was this little kid I saw. He was probably four years old, and he was about to walk through one of those automatic sliding doors, right? 
And he stood up and he said, magic, open. And it opened. And he just walked right on through because he, <laughs> he thought for sure he was the one who opened that door. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be able to tell the future. Anybody else want that one? Maybe probably flying or something. Yeah, a few of us. So telling the future is pretty cool until you find out something you don't want to know. Amen. I mean, honestly, because there's a lot of things that happen in the future that we look back and think, well, I'm glad I didn't know that, right? <laughs> that would have changed some things for me. See, God designed us and he knows what we can handle and when. Does that sound familiar? John chapter 16, if you remember the message I preached on John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is our guide to truth. Remember, he reveals the right truth at the right time. Just like when we teach and train our children, we teach them the right truths at the right time that they're able to listen and understand exactly what it is we're trying to tell them. Number two, Jesus responded by saying, I am he. This name of God, Yahweh, supernaturally knocked these men to the ground. I am he. The very words of God Almighty speaking who he is supernaturally knocked men to their feet in worship. This is what I know, people. This is what I know. And I know you know this too. If you don't worship God now, you will in the end. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, are we bowing down in worship now? Are we procrastinating and waiting to the end? But I know that we're bowing down in worship now because that's what God would want from us. Look at verses six through seven. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Now, I am he in the Greek, this literally means I am, I am. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and Moses said, who do I say you are? God said, I am, I am. Don't you love it when scripture proves itself? We're in John in the New Testament, and Jesus has proven that he's Yahweh. Every reader of this account would have known what Jesus was saying and what John was writing about because they knew the Old Testament. They knew that he was proclaiming to be Yahweh. And this proclamation knocked these men to their feet. Now, remember, in verse 3, John says that there are chief priests, officials, and a company of soldiers you know what the word fell means? It means to lay prostrate before. Proskuneo is the Greek word. To lay down in complete humility and surrender before God Almighty with your face to the ground. See, he's the only one worthy of this type of praise. Ezekiel 128, the appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. Daniel 10, 9. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. The same word usage here. Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Let me ask you, church, who do you lay prostrate before? Do you bow down to the King of Kings because of the holy fear you have for the Father in you? Or do you bow down to the things of this world because it's what you can see and feel? Which is it? 
You know what determines who you bow down before? It's who and what you think the most of. If you spend all your day thinking about a certain thing or person, that is who you're bowing down to. What you think of the most shows where your heart is. And boy, is it easy to get sidetracked in this world because the world is throwing things at us so quick that we don't even know when the next one's coming. It just hits us all of a sudden like, oh, where'd that come from? Oh, that looks like something I want or that looks like something I need. I mean, a perfect example of that is credit cards, right? Look, I mean, have you seen the statistics lately on credit card usage? I'm not going to put out a statistics. I didn't write it down. I don't want to say anything wrong while I stand up here before you. But if you look within the past 10 years, the debt that we as Americans are in is astronomical. Why is that? Because we want things, we need things, right? Let me get what I want. Now, some of you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with John chapter 18? Well, I'm going to tell you. We worship God Almighty, God Yahweh. I am that I am. But let me ask you a question. Are you prepared to defend that which you worship? Are you prepared to defend that which you worship? If someone were to walk up to you and say, who is Jesus and why do you follow him? What are you going to say? Are you going to say, well, it's, you know, it's a decision I made as a kid and it's been happened. It's been pretty cool since then. Or are you going to be able to explain the precepts of the faith? If you've been in church for more than a year, y'all, you need to be able to adequately defend your faith. And if you can't, you need to learn how. How are we going to effectively be witnesses for Christ if we can't even defend that who we worship? We can defend our favorite sports teams. We can defend our favorite person. We can defend our favorite children. But when it comes to Jesus, let me ask you, can you defend with that much passion that you defend everyone and everything else. That's what we need to ask ourselves this morning. And I pray that you would make a decision to defend because he is the I am. Now, there was a time in my life that I bowed down to people because of what they offered. Honor, glory, fame, prestige. There is nothing that you can give me that even comes close to what Jesus gives me. Amen? And the same is for you. There's nothing I can give you. There's nothing this world can give you that even comes close to what Jesus gives. First and foremost, he gave you a new life. A transformation of soul. A transformation of mind, of heart, and body. I hope you have that realization this morning. So, who are you laying prostrate before? Proskuneo. Who are you bowing down to? Number three, Jesus protected his disciples from being arrested. Verse eight, I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. Now this is interesting because in verse nine, he says, this was to fulfill the words that I said. I have not lost one of these you've given me. He said that to God. In verse 17, chapter 17, verse 12, this is scripture proving itself true again. Remember the prayer I preached through. Jesus said, I guarded them and not one of them is lost. He's keeping his promise, just the next chapter. The words of God can be trusted. Now, in keeping with Peter's impulsive character, what did he do? Pulled out his sword. 
I got you, Lord. Let me get them. Let me at them. And of course, that wasn't the plan and that wasn't the purpose. Resisting arrest was not what Jesus was called to do. If Jesus' purpose was to resist arrest, no one could touch him because he's Lord God Almighty. But his purpose was to drink the cup of divine suffering for you and me. Don't ever lose the personal aspect of the gospel, y'all. Jesus did that for you. He did that for you. So yes, you should be able to defend him in you with everything that you have. Now, as we saw earlier, darkness tries to overtake the light. It always has. It always will. And crawling through caves gave you the impression that there isn't hope, right? Especially when you get stuck. But what we do know is that light in a helping hand can get us out of the crevices of life. And my friends, that's who Jesus is and what he wants for us. Now, if Jesus knows his destiny, don't you think he knows yours? Yes. The answer is yes. Absolutely, he knows your destiny. Charles Spurgeon Many of you guys have heard me mention him before. He was a very well-known preacher and teacher in the 1800s. He had the blessing of preaching through revivals that God decided to sweep through the world during this time. A man walked up to him and said, Charles, why, why does your messages always sound the same? And Charles Spurgeon said, well, he said about 20 minutes into every message, I make a beeline to the cross. May God's message of redemption and salvation always be a sweet aroma of our mouths. Always. May it always be a sweet aroma. See, the theme of darkness and light is the same today as it was once sin entered. There are some of us in this room that bow down to the Lord of Lords. There are some of us in the room today that bow down to the things of the world. We have to come to a point right now in this church service to decide who we worship. Because friends, I'm telling you, the truths in the scripture are very clear. If you bow down to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, you are on the wrong side of the fence. And God's heart is for you not to be on that side of the fence. God's heart is for you to be with him. Some of you may be thinking, I know I've thought it before. Well, it's just hard in this culture. It is. It is the hardest it's ever been because the world is going to continue to get worse. That's why it's important for us to bow down to Jesus so we can have the strength and the courage to defend and have strength when the time comes. That's when we need to have the strength to say no to some things in our life. If things are taking too much of our time, we say no to those things and we protect the Lord God Almighty in our lives and in our families' lives. If we find ourselves tired and exhausted, then we need to make it a priority to put Jesus first. If we don't put Jesus first, how do we expect our children or our grandchildren to put him first? By the way, there should be a sweet aroma of love coming off of you if you walk with Jesus. Amen? People should see it. They should sense it. That's a great witness, my friends, because there are a lot of people out there that think they are saved by the Lord God Almighty, but there's never been a transformation in their life. 
and we are the witness of that light. Now, to be clear, in order for you to be a child of the king, there has to be a transformation in your life, a spiritual rebirth. Why do you think Jesus said you had to be reborn? Because being physically born is one of the most radical things that happens on the earth. So he wanted us to understand being spiritually reborn has to be just as radical. I mean, birth is crazy, right? All you women in here say, yeah, hallelujah, it is crazy, okay? And all the men who have witnessed it will say the same thing. Some of you have probably passed out watching it. But Jesus says we need to be reborn. There has to be a spiritual rebirth inside of us. You are not good enough to get to heaven. You will never be good enough to get to heaven. Your mom's faith can't save you. Your grandma's faith can't save you. The church of your youth will never be good enough. It's Jesus. It's a relationship. You and I stand in disgrace before the Father of lights. We have a strong lean towards evil and darkness. And we need the cross. We need Jesus to set us up straight. So back in my younger, crazier, before Jesus days, I used to drink lots of cough syrup. It was an addiction. I told you guys this before. I had an addiction to just about any drug you can imagine. And I would go to the doctor and every time I was sick or even when I wasn't sick and try to get prescribed cough syrup. And what you call that on the streets is you call it lean, okay? So I would lace everything with lean. I would drink it wherever I go. It was my idea of a good time. Whenever you drink too much lean, you start leaning, literally, okay? If you ever watch um, some of these horrible documentaries that you see in, on Kensington Street uh, in, in the Northeast, you'll see heroin and fentanyl users on the street like this. You see that? That's a lean. And your body's literally shutting down is what's happening. But you see, I spent five years of my life leaning, y'all, Leaning, darkness pulling me down to the ground, killing me, destroying cells in my body and in my brain. But you know what the Lord did with his cross? He set me up straight. He set me up straight. You see, the cross is where the power is. So do you bow down to the cross? Now, you don't have to have a testimony with drugs and alcohol. The pride in your heart the envy in your heart, the sinfulness in your mind, whatever it may be is just as bad. But the cross can set you straight. The cross is the only thing that can set you straight. You see, we stand condemned before God because of our sin. Jesus changed this for us. See, his suffering, he took all those sins on himself, giving new life to those who believe. Remember, the theme of John is so that those who read may believe and have eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the essence of the gospel. It's essential. It's crucial. It's vital. It's important. That's what the gospel is. But do you remember what the word believe means? Believe carries with it a weight of surrender and trust. Maybe you were taught as a child that all you had to do was one, two, three. I was. I thought I had to do certain things to get to heaven. That's in the Baptist church just like it's in any other church, y'all. When man takes over religion, traditionalism comes and you start getting a step-by-step process of how to get where you're trying to go. 
This is the same thing Jesus argued against the whole ministry he had here on earth. It's not about what you do. It's about your identity. And is your identity rooted in Jesus or is it rooted in things of this world? If your identity is rooted in things of this world, it's not rooted in Jesus. Only those whose identity is rooted in Jesus go to heaven, y'all. That's who salvation is for. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is proof of this new life, this rebirth we're talking about. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Y'all all right? Y'all say I'm all right, preacher. All right. Galatians 6.15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Romans 6.4, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Colossians 2.12, when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Have you encountered the cross? Have you encountered the cross? This is what happens to anybody who encounters the cross. Say, I'm ready for it, preacher. Say it. Anybody, no matter who you are, where you've been, how tall, how big, how small, no matter who you are, when you encounter the cross, you realize how sinful you are. Because you can't do anything other than that. Because of Jesus' power, because of his authority, because of his great design of his creation, when you stand before Yahweh, I am, I am, you can't help but realize how sinful you are. And that is the stepping stone to salvation because you need to realize the sin and confess it. And this all happens in a moment. This happens in the moment where you realize that Jesus is more powerful than you, that Jesus is extending his gift of salvation to you. This is the simplicity of the gospel. It's an amazing, great thing. Because my goodness, do we need it this, this day and age, right? I mean, we're living through such a divided, dark time. And, and, and if you let it, these things can confuse you to death, right? I mean, you, if you turn on the TV for more than five minutes, you might start doubting your name. But there's one thing we don't doubt. And that's the cross. Everything has to come from the cross, y'all. That's our starting point. That's our foundation. We have life in Jesus. I want you to answer these questions to yourself, if you will. If you were to die today, where are you going? How do you know? What moment in your life did you become born again by the resurrection power of Jesus? At what moment? At what moment in your life did you become born again by the resurrection power of Jesus? If your answer to the last question was, I always attended church or I don't know, please listen to what I'm saying. I beg you not to leave without making a decision to be reborn by the power of the resurrection. Look at verses 13 through 27. This is Jesus. He was detained, and he's going before the Jewish council and those who are in authority. First, they led him to Annas, since he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die 
for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of those man's disciples, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews gather and I haven't kept anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. Then he said these things. One of the officials standing by slapped Jesus saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then the high priest sent him bound to Caiaphas. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Now upon Jesus' Jesus's arrest, he was sent to the father. There's five high priests here. And they, he was sent to the father first. Even though he was not ruling at the time, he kind of had behind the scenes power. And of course, when he didn't get anywhere, he sent him over to Caiaphas, who was the actual ruling high priest. Now, this family was known for its greed, wealth, and power. I want you to understand something. Let's point this out really quick. Peter is in a courtyard. You have to imagine he's around the area where Jesus is being detained and questioned. And there are servants, there are officials in this courtyard, okay? Peter was just scolded by his Lord for cutting off the ear of a, of a servant. And somebody manhandled his Lord and brought him to be detained. So obviously, Peter's emotions are probably a little awry right now, and he's kind of wondering what's going on. So you can imagine what's going on through Peter's mind and this experience that he's so shook up at this moment. He's not knowing what to think. But what's interesting is now, John quickly talks about Peter, and then he shifts to the Jewish trial. Now, the problem with this is that evidence is supposed to be revealed before someone can be questioned. That's why Jesus said, what do you have against me? If I've done something wrong, show me. And of course, that's what got him slapped because they were, he, they thought he was disrespecting the authorities when in actuality he was just stating Jewish law. John 18, 23, he says, give evidence about the wrong. He exposed injustice at this point. There's a contrast between Peter and Jesus, and I want to point this out. Somebody say, I'm with you. Turn to somebody else and say, are you with him? <laughs> All right, listen, this is the contrast. John has constructed, this is a quote by Brown. I thought this was great. I wanted to put this on the screen so you can read it with me. John has constructed a dramatic contrast wherein Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. Now, the truth of Jesus compared to us. Y'all ready? Here it is. Jesus deserves all of our worship, even to those that deny him. Isn't that amazing? Peter denied his Lord three times, but Jesus didn't deny him. 
I want you to think about this this morning. See, we at times cower in fear and trembling, denying the very one who doesn't deny us. That's true. It's human nature. It's human nature. We can identify with Peter's denial. We can see Jesus as having all power and authority. But I want to ask you, where do you stand? Listen to this very carefully. I'm going to say this twice, and I want you to think about it. Are you cowering around a cold fire in the winter of life, denying the very one who gives you heat? Or do you stand in the confidence of who Jesus is in your life and know for certain that you have been changed by his resurrection power? Let me say that again. Are you cowering around a cold fire in the winter of life, denying the very one who gives you heat? Or do you stand in the confidence of who Jesus is in your life and know for certain that you have been changed by his resurrection power? If you don't know for certain that you have been changed by Jesus's resurrection power, you can know right now. This invitation is clear and simple. It's an invitation of life or death. It's your choice. I am only the messenger, and here it is. You can make a decision right now to bow down to the King of Kings, to go in proscuneo worship, lay prostrate before the Lord God Almighty, to believe in him and know for certain that you have been changed and that you will go to heaven when you die. If you're not sure, if you've ever done that, if you can't answer, if there's not a moment in your life where you know that the Lord has changed you and that there's been a rebirth inside of you, friends, you're not in that place. Think of it this way. We are talking about the God of all creation. We're talking about the God who holds the earth at a 32 and a half degree angle and places it just far enough from the sun as it rotates to experience all four seasons. Don't you think that if that Holy Spirit, if that God dwells inside of you, that there would be anything less than a crazy transformation? We're talking about the power of God Almighty. So if you want to make that decision, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment. And I'm going to ask you at this time, can you please bow your heads and close your eyes? Out of respect for everyone, please bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to make that decision today to trust in the Lord God Almighty, to say, I'm going to bow down to him and not the things of this world. And if you would please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed out of respect for everyone, can you please raise your hand at this time? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the transformation that you do inside of us. God, I pray that we would bow down only to you and not the things of this world, that we would lay prostrate before you, Father, because you are Yahweh. God, even when we don't feel like you're there, you are there. Even when we don't see you there, you are there, God. And you made a promise to your children that you would never forsake them. And Father, I thank you. We praise you for all souls in this room that have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you and we worship you for keeping our, goal, our souls, for guarding them, for protecting them, as we read in your word. And Father, I beg you, Holy Spirit, I beg you that if there's anyone in this room that knows they needed to make that decision right now, that they don't wait another second, that they make it today. 
And they make it right now that they cry out to you, Father, that they see how sinful they are as they stand at the cross, that they see how little they are compared to you, God, and cry out in need and confession to you because they need a Savior. We need saving, and we thank you for saving us. And Father, I pray that those in here who have not made that decision would not be able to go to sleep tonight without the Holy Spirit speaking speaking into their mind and their heart the words of Christ that they heard this morning. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.